Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. And on this week's episode, I am really happy to talk with Sarah Rengen, who's written a couple of recent books, um, the biggest one being The History of Information Graphics. And when I say biggest, I mean really size. I mean, it's a great book, but it's also like it's a Tashin book. If you've ever uh, purchased a Tashin book, um, you'll know that they're basically like a mile long and two miles wide. Um, it's just a huge book, but it is a visual feast uh, on the history of data visualization. Um, and she also has a book on uh, Charles Joseph Menard um, and his statistics graphics. Um, so I'm really excited to chat with her in this week's episode. Um, before I share that interview with you, just a quick note um, that I've added two new things to the Policy Viz shop. The first is a set of thank you cards um, that I created kind of out of fun. I mean, they're all out of fun, really. Um, it's just a series of data visualizations on one side of the card with a big old thank you. And on the back side is a definition of the graph with some other sort of watermark graphics in the back. Um, and then I also put out a series of postcards using historical famous data visualizations. And of course, one of those is the Menard Napoleon map. So if you'd like to check those out, uh, please head on over to the Policy Viz shop. And if you use the code podcast, you can get 10% off your purchase. So please do head on over to the shop and check that out. So as I mentioned on this week's episode of the show, I chat with Sarah Rengen. Um, we talk about her books and we also talk about historical data visualization more generally. Um, Sarah's work, along with the recent W.E. Du Bois book, uh, Jason Forrest, who's doing a lot of writing about historical data visualization, along with R.J. Andrews and a whole bunch of people. Um, and so we talk a little bit about how looking back at the history of data visualization can help us in an era of computers and mobile phones and big data and what it means for us as creators of data visualizations. So I hope you will enjoy this week's episode of the show. And here is my interview with Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, John, for having me. Um, slowly winding down summertime, getting ready for the fall. Mm -hmm. And um, you have had a busy, what, like nine months at least of things coming out in the world, but like a busier, like I'm sure like 18, 24 months before that. Yeah, at least. I mean, the the, the whole period of um, getting things together, of course, stretches back a lot, a lot longer. Right. But um, yeah, two books came out in the past nine months, and yeah. I'm very happy about those two products. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I want to talk about both of them, and we'll also uh, make sure we give people uh, the warning about the Toshin book if they don't know, <laughs> if they haven't bought Toshin books. Um, but maybe we can start, you can talk a little bit about um, about yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, the work that you do, and and then maybe we just slide right into, you know, how you got started on. I want to talk about both the books. So, I mean, if you want to start about the Menard book, we can talk about how you got interested in, in that one. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, maybe a little bit of background. Um, I was uh, educated as an art historian, which is a bit, um, maybe a bit of a strange approach to the field, but um, it makes sense in that I, I was always interested in, you know, in, in visuals and how they work, what they can do, how you know what they tell us and what their what their potentials are, and at some point uh, I started to get interested in infographics and um, pre uh, published two books with Tashin Publishing before, and um, the, those were more surveys of 
what's happening in contemporary work, what's happening in the field, like right now, the burst that we're seeing. And once I got started to look into the field, I also got interested in looking into the history because what I really noticed was that, you know, as we are growing as a professional field, like database, the the community and, and the people who are interested in, you know, visual analytics and in data visualization. Um, and as this field is growing and, and growing together from, from a variety of backgrounds, I felt that there's a lot of interest and a lot of desire in, in understanding where this field comes from, where the roots are. And um, this is sort of what got me started in, you know, looking into historical examples. And then very quickly, I sort of noticed that, you know, that there's a few... Uh, a few highlights and a few milestones and a few heroes that we always sort of cite and that we always look back to. But, you know, there's the field and the history is much broader and much more colorful and interesting and and there's much more details to know. And, um, yeah, that's sort of what got me started. And the Minar is a pretty good example because um, the one thing or the one example that we all know about and that we always hear about is the Napoleon map, of course, mm-hmm. which is sort of, you know, the famous graphic that's always uh, being mentioned when there's talk about the history of infographics. But, you know, this is just one of many, many works. And it's also the, the, the end of his professional and personal evolution in terms of his data, his research. And I knew that there's... Um, there's a big collection of, of statistical graphics that he prepared and that he made over the course of his career. And that those were just hidden. You know, I would always Google and try to find something and there would always be just very, you know, small thumbnails and you wouldn't really see anything online or wouldn't yeah. really find anything. And so I thought, you know, it would really be worth to go to the archive and, you know, dig out this, all this material and the whole collection of his works basically, and just try to understand how he got there and how he, you know, arrived at, um, at producing this great uh, this great map and this great graphic, because it's interesting to to understand that the Napoleon graphic is sort of very special within his work, right? It's it's almost the last work that he did out of like you know sixty large format statistical maps. Uh, this is one of the last he did, and also it's it's a bit different than the other ones he did. Right. It's also interesting, and I didn't know this before reading the book that. The Napoleon map is is kind of like part two of this bigger spread with yes. the Hannibal March at the top. Yes, exactly. And that that is an interesting feature that we can observe throughout his work, that he would try to compare situations or compare developments, right? Sometimes mm. he would compare uh, developments like a specific data set, how it evolves over time. Um, or in this case, he would um, compare a data set that is sort of equal, like a military campaign that stretches over several months. Uh, and then he would compare the, the Hannibal, which is from antiquity. So way back when we don't know very much about it, but like we have raw, like a few uh, raw numbers. Uh, and so he compared that with another military disaster, which was way bigger, and that's the Napoleon. And um, and so, yeah, and, and uh, what is very important and very interesting is that he constructed both flows, I mean, both the flow maps, that is the, the uh, format that he uh, developed and that he is famous for, and he constructed both flows to the same scale on the original map. So mm. you can, like, in one glance, you don't have to calculate or anything. In one glance, you can see, 
you know, this is, you know, the relation between the numbers that are shown. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can compare the two over the two, the two mm-hmm. errors. That is, that is interesting. Can you talk about what the process was like to find the originals? And like you said, I mean, you, you Google them and you don't really find a lot. Yeah. So what was your process like to find the original images? Yeah, there were a few researchers before me who have done some sort of basic work, which was really helpful, like uh, the Canadian researcher, Michael Friendly. He had already put it together a list of his work. And what I knew from Michael and from Gilles Palski, a French historian, uh, is that Minard, he has studied and later taught at one specific technical college in Paris, the École des Points Chaussées, the, the School of Bridges and Roads. So it's an engineering college. And uh, so he was closely connected to that school for pretty much all of his life. And I knew that they had like a comprehensive collection of all of his work. So uh, I knew that from the research that was done before me. So I basically got in touch with them and went to the archive and uh, and just uh, looked at all the work, original in paper, which was really, right. really fascinating and, yeah. and uh, brilliant because that gives you another very tactile experience of how they've worked, right? I mean, the... Right. the Seeing what they did in digital format or, you know, reproduced in a book is very interesting and very enlightening. But then sitting there and, and seeing the actual print that is many, uh, most of them are hand colored, uh, like after printing and seeing these technical details and the actual format is really enlightening and really fascinating. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, before we turn to the infographics book, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Tufti's take on the Menard, oh, yes. uh, the Napoleon mark. So yeah. like, you know, so Tufti says it's, it's the greatest uh, statistical graphic ever drawn. So, so yeah. is that your, is that your perspective? Yeah. It, well, first of all, I want to say it's really Tufti's uh, uh, achievement that he made us look at historical pieces, right? I mean, mm-hmm. his books are interspersed with historical examples all throughout. And that's really fascinating. And I think that many of us, are hooked on this topic because of his books. And he also um, researched a lot of material. Um, personally, for the quote that you just mentioned, you said probably the best. I think it's, yeah, I think it's graphic. probably the best. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm always worried to, to say something is right. the best or the first, right. or it's always difficult. But it, it is absolutely stunning and significant and, and striking. And my take on that is... What is really interesting and fascinating is that it shows how Minar had evolved some sort of storytelling skills. That's my take on it. Because mm. if you look at how his work evolved, like he's tried several, like a variety of different data sets, and he's tried uh, which data sets he can combine, which makes you know a useful visualization. Some of his works are really cluttered, and some are you know. So he tries several methods over time, and then arrives at the Napoleon with skills. And and one of that skill is to to understand and to see you know, how can I form a story out of, you know, the, the, the whole disaster? Looking at this whole disaster, is it's a very complex story. It's, it's six months, many, many different army units that have moved, you know, in many, many different directions. One yeah. group moved here, back there, they stayed there. 
um, you know, they, they stayed for some time and then they moved back. So there's a lot of different movements. And he streamlined that into one statistical variable that he watched over time. And that is very interesting. And that's why this whole story is so intriguing and, and, and telling and striking. And in this respect, I think it's very, very interesting and, 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 and brilliant. Um, what is interesting in, in the context of his work is that it's for him, it was sort of, for him, it's almost sort of casual because his earlier works that are more, you know, they're more related to transport issues or issues of mm-hmm. trade and commerce. And that's like real data for him. That's like he, he gives us the sources. He tells us how the, the data is calculated, and where he aggregated and where he, you know, where data was missing. For that one, for the Napoleon one, interestingly, he didn't do that. I don't know why exactly. I don't know if it was because he was too old or whether he thought it was like edutainment sort of. This gives us the books. But if you look into the books, they have, you know, tables here and tables there. He must have done heavy calculations to come up with the numbers. Right. Um, But we don't see that anywhere, really. But this one feels, like you said, it feels a little bit more like a story. Yeah. Um, Because you have this, especially the, the Napoleon one, you have this, you know, starts from the left and you sort of follow it mm-hmm. and you see this sort of like climax point as it gets to the right and then you yeah. kind of turn back around and it says this it, it does sort of follow your you know your kind of traditional model of story mm-hmm. in some way but it's that it's that visual representation without necessarily writing all the words and annotation the way you would in a book yeah very much i feel like the, the there's um his skills were coming together with uh, it, it's a it's a very lucky coincidence of many things. I would say mm-hmm. it's his skills, it's his interest, uh, his interest in this you know historical disaster. Like the whole thing was um, fifty years ago when he did the map, right. uh, when he did the map, and um, but then also the fact that the army was moving eastwards at first is very lucky for him it's fortunate because this is the classic reading direction we start in the east we start in the west and then read towards the east right and we're in moscow we turn back and then follow the disaster even more and then follow the the temperature along the bottom and so yeah like a a lucky coincidence of many many things and brilliant storytelling i would say right yeah 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 um, so let's turn to the history of information graphics book, mm-hmm. which I think the first thing that people need to know is that it's a Toshin book. So <laughs> it's, it weighs about 400 pounds and it's you know, like bigger than my desk. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Yeah. so just you, be prepared. Yeah, you better um, be prepared. But it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, we hope that it's, uh, it, it makes you dive into, you know, it, it should be an immersive experience. I guess that's the uh, yeah. idea behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to let you talk about the the process and and how it was pulled together. But Mm -hmm. I did also want to ask whether you view it as a book that you think people should read, you know, cover to cover, or is it one of those books, like more of like a coffee table book where just open it to a random page and just enjoy the visual and and read the text that's around each piece? Oh, that's a good question, I guess. Um, Or my hope would be that it enables both. Mm -hmm. Um, And we took a long time to figure the structure of the book. Like, how are you going to tell the story? Um, First of all, uh, I have to say, I consider it as 
or the contribution that I want to make is to to try to bring a lot of material to our common attention and knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as I mentioned before, I feel like there's a few heroes that we keep mentioning and that are certainly important. But I want everybody to know that there's so much more to discover. And I myself was really surprised to see, you know, at first I was like, yes, you know, this is the, the, the book format that I was trying to fill, it's a big book, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to find enough material for the book. Right. What happened during my research was I found material for like 10 books this size. There is so much out there. There's so much material that we have, and we are not aware of that story, of that history. And this is what I want to make people aware of. Um, so this is the first contribution that I want to make, Right. Right. There, there are these heroes that many of us already know. Uh, let me quote Nightingale, Otto Neurath, and you know all these figures, well known and very important. But there's so much more. These figures are just sort of the the, the icebergs, you know, uh, looking out of the uh, of the ocean. But there's so much more. And um, as to your question. I mean, the structure is modular, so most of it comes in self-contained pieces. You can just dive in and look at one piece, and there's going to be an explanation that tells you about this one piece, and there's brief uh, summaries as to epochs. We have chosen uh, a chronological structure, so you can sort of wander from the Middle Ages towards the present. And I would like to mention that I have also uh, invited... Uh, four experts that have been busy in this field or have been active in, in researching the history of information graphics or you know various aspects uh, for many many years uh, long before me uh, and I wanted to include their you know introduce include their knowledge to to the book as well and make readers aware that there's these you know experts who have their own collections. Um, so that the readers you know might go out and go online and find their material as well. Right. Yeah. Um, so what was the process like for this one? So for the Menard book, you were able to go and pick out the original yeah. Yeah. Um, materials. But but this one is, you know, yeah. got a lot, I mean, a ton. I mean, I don't, yeah. even, I, I don't know the no, total count of graphs in it. But yeah. so, so what was that process like? Yeah, it just was um, a bit less concise or a bit less concentrated that just stretched over many years. I mean, Mm. I had the idea of doing this book uh, a long time ago, and then uh, Tashna and I talked about, you know, doing it, whether it would be feasible. And and then, you know, as as time went by, I would just, you know, go and look for stuff. How do you say, if you have your attention focused on that, you find things everywhere, and then you start collecting. And and this is what I did over many years, not many, but five years, um, continuously trying to find things in very different contexts. It's very interesting. Once you start looking for things, you find examples in, in the most weird places and in the most weird uh, uh, contexts. There's, for instance, there's an, uh, an historical infographic uh, made by the Berlin. I live in Berlin. So uh, there's a Berlin you know, metro subway company, BVG, 
And they have shown two, of, uh, two historical infographics that come from an annual report that they made in, back in the 20s, in the late 20s. And they just have it up on the wall, very big, on, on one station. And once I walked by there and I was like, hey, look at this. What is this? <laughs> and so this is, you know, this is, they, they sort of, once you have your attention on, clicked on, turned on, then the, the pieces also come to you. People will show you stuff, send you stuff. And, and so it's been a very long collection process. And so this right. is the first part. And then, of course, the second, even more difficult part is um, to make a selection from that. Right. And right. I have to mention what has really helped the process is that uh, we are in the middle of the digitization process and many archives and many libraries are putting their stuff online. So mm. many, many libraries have, you know, searchable collections online and that has really helped. I couldn't have done this without this. Like, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been much more difficult. Right, right. Well, I have it on my desk at home, and so I had to clear off a whole section of mm -hmm. the, the space. <laughs> um, but um, so both of these books are looking at historical visualizations. And so there has been, I think, uh, like you mentioned earlier, a, a bit of a, a refocusing or, or more attention paid to some of the historical work. So there's mm -hmm. the Du Bois book that came out, I think, mm -hmm. last year. Yeah. Uh, Jason Forrest has been writing a lot about it. Um, mm -hmm. R.J. Andrews had a, has his book out that has a lot of yeah. um, historical looks. And I'm curious, you know, aside from the basic inspiration and just kind of, and also, you know, seeing the different techniques. Mm -hmm. I wonder how you think about knowing more about the historical visualizations helps us mm -hmm. today when we're designing interactives and we're yeah. worried about mobile phones. And yeah. so when you think about these books and the other work that people mm -hmm. are doing and, and people who are making modern visualizations, how do you think about linking those two mm -hmm. together? I mean, technology is, is certainly, you know, it, uh, an aspect that sort of separates us or for many that feeling has evolved, right? That the technologies that we have now sort of, you know, separate us from anything that has happened before in print or whatever. Um, right. But my take on that is that it's mostly about a sort of critical education in our minds, that's what I think is most important about it. Because when you look at historical works, many things will look strange to us. And this is a good thing because then you have to think about who did this? Why is this? Why does this look so strange? You know, what did they try to achieve? Also things like who paid for this? Was it self-initiated or did someone commission that work? Um, what is the message? What is the, you know, what is the underlying, what is the, what is the thought behind it? And, and I think it's engaging with historical works that we train to ask these questions. And um, you are aware that there's been a lot of talk lately in, in the database community about, you know, fostering a culture of criticism and, and yeah. a culture of, you know, critically judging works, but also giving, you know, candid feedback, uh, constructive criticism. And I think for acquiring a critical mindset like that, it's really enlightening to engage with historical works just because it opens your perspective. It opens your mind, right? Because for many works that we see that, you know, contemporary work from like today, with many of these, we share, you know, basic values, basic aesthetics, basic principles and stuff. With historical works, that is not always given. So mm. I understand it's a very good training for us to, yeah, develop a critical mindset for looking at, at work. And yeah. 
Yeah. I also find it interesting how people sometimes take these historical, especially the famous historical ones, and they remake them in the modern tools. Yeah. Um, and I wonder whether you've given any thought to that. Like, is that merely a technical exercise or is there more to it than that? Because I, I do wonder whether people then have to think more carefully about the visualization rather than saying, oh, the Menard graph, you know, goes left to right and then right to left. And, you know, yeah. but, but you have to dive a little bit deeper if you're going to remake something. Absolutely. I mean, the, the whole uh, method of redesigning things or remaking things, uh, I mean, redesigning something different than, you know, just recreating things. But I think it always uh, makes people understand you know, how things came together or understand how some design choices were made and why they may have been made like that or may have been made. Is Was there any other choice than doing it this way or that way? So um, I guess there's absolutely um, a good point in doing that. Yeah, um, yeah and certainly it's, it's right. Your question is good because um, it, it's certainly even more intense than just looking at it and just talking yeah. about it. It's It's different when you actually have to you know, recreate it or find uh, another solution for saying the same thing. You right. know, then you will understand the, the the tricky parts behind it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be an interesting project for like Makeover Monday or, or the Tiny absolutely. Tuesday projects. Like make yeah. remake Menard's map and, and yeah. see what you can come up with. Yeah, that that yeah. would be fun. Um, yeah, and I guess so, I guess it's I guess it's probably two part to be to be really enlightening to to first you yeah. know really look at the thing. That's yeah. uh, that's an interesting point that I when I teach. Uh, I sort of torment my students with having to look at the same graphic for a very long time. Yeah. That's something that I had to do in my art history classes back in university. Like our professors would make us look at the same painting for an hour. And I would be like, can we just, can we just <laughs> take this away? I've seen this now, but it's yeah. so enlightening. And so, you know, you, it always gets you somewhere and I'm doing this with graphics as well. And I think this is something that we don't do enough, you know, really take the time to analyze a piece and you know this is always for me the first part when looking at a historical piece like for instance with the minar napoleon map like you understand where did you get the data from like what did he have to calculate them or were they somewhere and and it turns out he must have calculated them but he doesn't talk about it anywhere right. things like that so and understand and analyze that first and then try to remake something or recreate something and so that would be very enlightening true yeah 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 uh, um okay so so you have i don't know hundreds of of historical graphics that you've you've looked at and okay. is there one that you can pick out as your favorite or maybe a top five Oh. I'll, I'll make it easier if I give you a top five. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, no, it's always, always so difficult. But I'll, I'll give you an unexpected one. Okay. One that I'm really in love with is um, it's a it's a parchment roll from uh, the year 1200 AD, roundabout. Uh, we don't know exactly when it was from. It's it's uh, the, the parchment roll itself is in Harvard uh, in the Harvard Library today. And it's seven meters long or something. Mm. It's got a fold out in, in the Middle Ages chapter of the book. And it's just this absolutely crazy genealogy. It's got bubbles and then the bubbles are connected with each other. And within this uh, genealogy, it tells the, yeah, basically the story of the, the biblical story from, you know, from Adam and Eve uh, all the way down right. to Jesus. And then it has all, it has little texts in them and little uh, icons in the bubbles. And I'm just absolutely intrigued by 
how the theologians of the time managed to condense the very intricate, you know, theological Christian story into this whole, yeah, yeah, parchment roll. And then what is also interesting in that is, you know, it wasn't copied in this or that many examples or, or copies. Uh, it wasn't printed. Um, so this is unique. This thing is unique. And then somebody else would, you know, copy it by just you know, making a hand, a manual copy and then making little adjustments. So from the, from the examples that we have, every piece is, you know, a little different. A little different. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. So you can see the evolution, more or less kind of the evolution of the, of the piece. Yeah. Very much so. And and this is, this is a special thing with the manuscript culture back in the middle ages. This is something that we, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's really hard to wrap my head around this because we're so used to standardization and print and, you know, exact copies and that just didn't exist back then. So, right. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I've enjoyed both the books. I'm, I'm only, you know, ankle deep in the information graphics one, but yeah, um, yeah right. uh, they're great. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been, it's been really interesting talking about this. So. Thank you so much, John. I really hope that you um, enjoy the book even further. And um, yes. yeah, yeah thanks great. so much for inviting yeah. me. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks to you all for tuning in once again to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. I hope you will check out these books. Um, they are, they're really great. And the history of information graphics, you, you're going to have to carve out some, some space uh, on your bookshelf to, to, to put it there. Um, but it is a, it is a, a beautiful book, uh, as I mentioned earlier. So um, if you'd like to support the show, please do share it with folks. Please put a review on iTunes or, or Google Play or wherever you uh, like to listen to the show. And if you'd like to uh, support the show financially, please head over to my Patreon page. Uh, just for one or three bucks a month, you can support the show. And you can also get a lovely Policy Viz podcast uh, mug for your morning coffee or tea. And that really wraps up this week's episode. Uh, I've got more coming uh, for you over the next few months. I'm really excited with some of the guests that I have lined up for you. So until next time, this has been the Policy Biz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.